Bless you, Justin. Good morning. It is so good to see everyone. Let's join our hearts together as we do every week in the Lord's Prayer. Wherever you are, please feel free to join us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We want to talk today about making the prophetic word profitable. Need to make a couple of statements that we've made so many times, it's nothing new, but um, we are a church that believes in the full expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We are not cessationists. We don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit were given to us for a while and then removed. We embrace them, but we also believe the gifts have to be shepherded. Um, we believe that it takes a mature church and an educated church, I'm not talking about in the world system, but in the Word, we need to be very steady and very solid. I've often said it takes a, a steady hand to hold a full cup. And um, a lot of people say, well, I'd rather have wildfire than no fire. Well, I've pastored both. And I tell you what, I think I'd opt for no fire over wildfire because God can get the flame going in a church that's dead. I've seen him do it. But uh, to be uncontrolled is to be contrary to all of the teaching of the New Testament concerning the gifts of the Spirit. I, I want to say secondarily that even though we believe in the prophetic word, I want you to know I have been personally blessed beyond description by the prophetic word. And, and there are degrees of that. Some, some people give a word from the Lord that, please don't misunderstand me, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just so elementary. You know, God loves you and he's going to take care of you. Um, you. You usually don't have to pull the car off the road and have a shouting spell to receive, God loves me and he's going to take care of me. But those are precious. But I've also had life-changing prophetic words. I remember when I went to a place that was very difficult. Now, we, we were doing our best, Ramona and I, to hear the, the voice of the Lord. Do we go here? Do we not go here? And God had been doing such a work in our lives that we had not yet been able to wrap our arms around. Um, when we made the decision to go, and uh, I had people saying, this is the will of God. I had people saying, this is not the will of God. And all of them saying, thus saith the Lord. And um, uh, uh, I, say a, a, I say an elderly lady, back then she was elderly. Now looking back, she was probably about my age. So she wasn't elderly at all. I just thought she was. She wrote out a page that was prophetic and, and it, it, it spoke to so many issues we were struggling with and it gave us assurance. It wasn't a directional, you need to do this or go here or do that, but it was affirmation of what God had spoken. And I remember for the next three years, whenever I'd come up uh, in a tough place, I'd pull that sheet of paper out. I literally, I literally wore the paper out, reminding myself, contending for that prophecy it did not add to the word. It did not exceed the word. 
uh, biblical prophecy is not a, a vitamin um, because the word's weak. Um, it, is, it is a confirmation. And, uh, and I, so I want to tell you, I believe in the prophetic word. But we also need to understand that there is no prophet, present day prophet, and there is no prophetic word that equals the scripture. It, it doesn't illuminate the scripture as in making it better. It can make some things clearer. But we want to talk today about the reality of the prophetic word. I want to begin today by sharing a couple of stories from Jack Deere's book, uh, Surprised by the Voice of God. And uh, I, I believe they'll be a real blessing to you. Um, I, I want you to understand, well, I, I need to give one more preparatory statement. Um, we need to understand that what many people call the prophetic word today is it does not make allowance for anything that's negative or corrective or judgmental. When Pastor Dana Coverstone shared his dreams a few months ago, uh, everybody was rattled by it. And first of all, I don't know why we were rattled by it. It's what we've been talking about for years. But we were rattled by it, and then people began to take comfort in a prophetic voice from another city saying, God never gives us bad news. God never gives us judgment. God never tells us anything negative. And um, I'm not calling that person a false prophet, but that person is not representing the heart of the Lord. I'll say that when they take that position. Whatever else they may do right, I'm very concerned about those kind of, uh, those kind of prophetic words. There are words that set us free in their positivity, and there are words that caution us uh, in, in what they say is ahead if we don't listen to the Lord. That was true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. It's true today. And until we grow to the point as a church, I'm not talking about us, although I am including us, until we grow to the point that we know how to receive and make a prophetic word profitable, we're going to be like children blown around by winds of doctrine. And whenever the Lord wants to do something deep in us, we just keep hopping YouTube sites till we find somebody that agrees with us. Okay, um, I'm not sure I can read this. Let me try. Um, this is a story by Jack Taylor. And uh, he talks about, I mean... Uh, John Deere, not, uh, not John Deere, that's the tractor. Jack Deere, I had it half right. Jack Deere, um, he said that he was ministering to a church in, in uh, Anaheim, California. And as part of his weekend there, he was also going to talk to the children about their Bible study and prophetic word. And uh, he talked about what a challenge it was, how difficult it was. They asked questions that were very difficult to understand. Um, or to answer, not to understand. And he said that the man he was ministering with began to minister to a little girl uh, named Julie, a uh, 12-year-old girl on the front row. Um, uh, he, he, he said, Julie, I feel like I have a word from the Lord for you. And this is what he said. He looked at the young girl. What's your name? He asked. Julie. Julie was not so sure she wanted someone giving her a prophetic word in front of 200 of her peers. Julie, while Jack was speaking, I had a vision of you. It was Tuesday night, that's five nights ago. You went to your bedroom and shut the door. You were crying. You looked up to heaven and said, God, do you really love me? 
I have to know, do you really love me? And God didn't say anything to you on Tuesday night, Julie. He sent me here tonight to tell you that he really loves you. He really loves you. He also told me to tell you that the trouble going on around you is not your fault. He didn't tell me if he's going to change the trouble, but he wants you to know you aren't the cause of it. And Jack Deere said, well, that was kind of a, that was a safe word, you know, no details, which by the way, when you're doing something publicly, especially with a 12 year old child, you need to be very careful in what you say. So he said, um, Jack, John, Joe, Jack said that he went to the girl after they dismissed and he said, uh, Julie, last Tuesday night, were you in your bedroom crying really hard and did you ask God if he really loved you? Yes, she said. Are your parents fighting now? Yes. Are they talking about getting a divorce? Yes. Do you think that's your fault? She looked at me, smiled, and said, not anymore. <laughs> he said, I thought about a little 12-year-old girl in Anaheim, California, who won't be sitting in a psychiatrist's office when she's 30 years old, trying to get rid of guilt she's carried around for the last 20 years. Even if her parents divorce, she will never blame herself for it. The prophetic word of the Lord came to her and delivered her from that guilt. The prophetic word of the Lord convinced her that God really does love her. And the prophetic word of the Lord convinced about 200 of her friends that night that the God they talk about in church really does know everything about their lives and loves them in spite of it. Now he goes on to say that was not um, a, a put down of the word of God. He said God could have told her directly that he loved her. God could have given her verses and worked th work through the verses to say that I love you and this isn't your fault. But God chose to use a prophetic word that set her free, not only from what she was struggling with then, but from future anxiety. Now, not everything is so delightfully wonderful. One of the most remarkable prophetic um, uh, Scottish covenanteers was Alexander Payden. Now this man lived from 1626 to 1666. Um, he, you know, a lot of people think that spiritual gifts only began again at Azusa Street. It died with the apostles, then didn't start again till Azusa Street. Um, John Wimber has a great article where it points out that he, he uh, cites historically the manifestation of spiritual gifts in every century since the early church. The, the, the gifts of the Spirit have never died. They've always been in existence. But sometimes God highlights those gifts when people seek Him like He did at, at Azusa Street over 100 years ago. Um, in 1682, he was, he was so prophetic. Uh, he was a Presbyterian. He was so prophetic that he was called Prophet Payton. Um, he performed the wedding ceremony for the godly couple John Brown and Isabel Weir. After the ceremony, he told Isabel she had gotten a good man for her husband, but that she would not enjoy him long. Now today we would have rebuked him as a messenger of Satan. He advised her to prize his company and to keep a linen, a linen burial sheet close by for when she least expected it, her husband would come to a bloody end. About three years later, Payton spent the night of April 30th, 1685 at the Browns' home in Priest Hill. P 
Peden left the house before dawn. As he was leaving, they heard him repeating these words to himself. Poor woman, a fearful morning, a dark, misty morning. Not long after Peden had left, John Graham of Claver House arrived with a group of soldiers. Graham gave John Brown an opportunity to repent of his conviction that Christ was the head of the church rather than the king of England. Brown refused. Then go to your prayers, for you shall immediately die, replied Graham. Brown prayed, turned to his wife Isabel, and said, You see me some... You see me summoned to appear in a few minutes before the court of heaven as a witness in our Redeemer's cause against the ruler of Scotland. Are you willing that I should part from you? Heartily willing, said Isabel. John took her into his arms, kissed her goodbye, then kissed his baby boy. He knelt down before his two-year-old daughter and kissed her and said, My sweet child, give your hand to God as your guide and be your mother's comfort. When he rose, his last words were to God. Blessed be thou, O Holy Spirit, who speaketh more comfort to my heart than the voice of my oppressors can speak terror to my ears. Captain Graham of Claver House was enraged at John Brown's godly courage. He ordered six of his soldiers to shoot him where he stood. The soldiers stood motionless, refusing the order. The furious Graham drew his own pistol and shot Brown through the head. With a cruelty that is difficult to imagine, he turned to Isabel and said, What thinkest thou of thy husband now, woman? I have always thought well of him, she replied, but never more than now. The murder was committed between 6 and 7 a.m. By that time, Peyton was 11 miles away. He entered his friend John Muirhead's house and asked to pray with the family. Lord, he said, when wilt thou avenge Brown's blood? Oh, let Brown's blood be precious in thy sight. He explained to the family what he had seen in a vision. This was his vision. Claverhouse has been at the priest hill this morning and murdered John Brown. His corpse is lying at the end of his house and his poor wife weeping by his corpse and not a soul to speak comfortably to her. This morning after the sun rising, I saw a strange apparition in the firmament. The apparition of a very bright, clear, shining star fall from heaven to the earth. And indeed, there is a clear, shining light fallen this day, the greatest Christian that I have ever convened with. Meanwhile, or conversed with, meanwhile, back at Priest Hill, Isabel had gotten up to get the linen burial sheet she had reserved since the day of her wedding for this moment she had been warned about. With a shattered heart, she wrapped the linen around her husband's body, and though her heart was shattered, it was not shattered with bitterness. She was not bitter over wasted days in her marriage. Nor was she bitter at God, nor even at the enemies of God who took her husband's life. Three years before the tragic day, the word of God prophetically had come down through an old celibate prophet and prepared her heart for this hour. Her heart was shattered 
but it was shattered the way hearts are meant to be shattered, with love. When people ask me, what use are the prophets now that we have the whole Bible? I wish Isabel were here to answer that question. We believe in the prophetic word. Let me also share with you our problem. Um, and I, I've got to say this, there's no way that I can explain both sides of this issue. I'm not here to make a political statement about this view or that view. I'm not here to defend or to villainize President Trump or President-elect Biden. That's not the purpose of this. And you need to get past that thought in order to receive what I'm trying to communicate to you. But the fact of the matter is, the, the, the prophetic community, and let me say this, we're part of a small sliver of pie in America. We're part, even in the church, um, we are part of a small sliver of churches that believes in prophetic ministry. Most churches in America do not. And let me say this, I'm not nearly as concerned about a prophet missing a prediction as I am about the church saying there is no prophetic word. But that's a sermon for another time. The fact of the matter is in our corner of the world, uh, prophets have spoken for months that uh, Donald Trump would be reelected as late as two days ago. Um, I heard someone say it's going to be so he's going to be inaugurated. Joe Biden will never be inaugurated. Thus saith the Lord. And we've had a steady diet of that since before the election. We've had unbelievable things come to us from the mouth of prophets. And the fact of the matter, loved ones, is right now it's not about whether this happens or this happens. It's about how do we receive a word from the Lord, and especially one that doesn't seem to be fulfilled. Now, I know what you might say. You might say, well, Joe Biden's not inaugurated yet. Well, let me tell you, it, it's, there's no reason to think it's not going to happen. And we've already have a sheet full of prophecies that were declared in the name of the Lord that have not happened. Now, you may take the approach and you, boy, you're tense. I can tell you're tense. Take a sip of your coffee because it's going to get worse. Now, I, I, you know, when I, when I talk to people about it, they say, well, he was reelected, but it was stolen. Loved ones, do you understand? We're not we're not even addressing that. We're talking about the word of the Lord. You might as well have said, well, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall rest upon his shoulders. And of the increase of his rule there will be no end. But Herod killed him in Bethlehem. No, if the word of the Lord can be circumvented by the devil, we need to take another look at what we believe about the word of the Lord. Now, we need to talk about what prophets said and what prophets are saying and how it ought to be said. Um, there are theological issues. There are political issues. There are functional issues for the church. I was telling Corey the other day, I said, Corey, I'm, I'm praying. I said, we have really, meaning we, meaning the pastors, I said, we've really got to walk the church out of this toxic environment that is America today. We've got to walk the church through this and we've got to help the church get to the other side or we're going to stay divided forever. And Corey said something that I thought was so true. He said, I thank God we don't have to do this in a church that is immature and a church that doesn't know the Lord. We are in the best place imaginable 
to have to walk somebody through it because the church is mature. And I believe that with all of my heart. Now, what are we dealing with? The issue is seen in the arrogance of some prophetic people and in the shallowness of some Christians. Not saying all Christians are shallow, neither am I saying all prophets are arrogance, but this is part of a perfect storm that is threatening America as a nation um, and also the um, American church. Now let's get to the outline. Two scriptures ought to puzzle every pastor as he considers how to lead his flock. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. Okay, the second verse is 1 Thessalonians 5. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. As a seminary student, I read these verses and I thought, what preacher, what pastor in his right mind would say, I'm not going to allow people to speak in tongues or say, I despise prophetic utterances. That's so, that's so contradictory. And by the way, let me say this again, I'm not trying to be belligerent, but you don't interpret these as though it were some strange group back then. Every church in the New Testament was Pentecostal. Every church was Pentecostal. And we Pentecostals are sometimes treated as though we have a weird hermeneutic when we interpret the New Testament. But loved ones, there, there, I'm satisfied that there were no non-Pentecostal churches in the New Testament. So we have to understand what would a Pentecostal apostle be saying to Pentecostal pastors, don't tell people they can't speak in tongues and don't despise utterances. I thought, this is crazy until I began to pastor. And then I began to see there were a lot of manifestations that were not shepherded, that were not managed. Um, I pastored one church where, uh, false names, but we just called that part of the service the Jack and Jill show. Because every week she was going to give a message in tongues and every week this man was going to interpret it. I believe in messages in tongues. I believe in interpretation. But it was, it was, it, it was obvious, and I had to talk to them about it, it's obvious that everything that went on on Sunday mornings in their mind was geared around them. Neither of them living a life where they ought to be manifesting this kind of leadership in a church. But I began to understand it's easier to say no. It's easier to say shut up. It's easier to ban prophetic websites than to deal with it. So I speak to you today as one who loves you and is very mindful that I must give account to you for you and for your souls before God. And I do believe that God is about to do something phenomenal in the church around the world, in his kingdom. I believe he's going to do something in the church uh, of America, but I believe for us to get where we're going, we're going to have to go through some unexpected doors, and it's going to be a door of suffering. It's going to be a door of persecution. It's going to be a door of character reformation. It's going to be a door of humility. It's going to be a door of spiritual fruit bearing. We're going to have to stop ignoring scriptures like 1 John 5, 
where Peter said, or first Peter 5, where he said, after you have suffered a while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. You don't get there through easy days. You get there through suffering and difficulty. And I know that most of us won't like the doors we're going to pass through. Now, let me say a word about the prophetic community. We mustn't throw the prophetic under the bus. We mustn't throw the prophets under the bus. I believe that for the prophetic community, this is a day of refinement and humiliation. But I believe the refinement and humiliation is for the purpose of expanding their importance and refining their place in the body of Christ. I believe, now you don't, and if you are a prophetic person that just might be happening to listen to me, please hear me out. We are working, what we're seeing rise in this tough thing called 2020. Um, we are working through attitudes of the prophets. We are working through assumptions of the prophets. And in some cases, we are working through the arrogance of the prophets. Now, certainly not all of them, but I want to say this to the congregations, to those of us who are hearing them. We must learn how to judge prophecy. We must learn how to receive valid prophecy. And we must learn how to graciously and lovingly reject words that don't bear witness with our heart. We've got to also learn how to contend for prophecy. We, as listeners to prophets, are often imbalanced, immature, and in some cases, ignorant of the prophetic realm. And to us, we, don't, we would never say this, but the way we handle the prophetic, it's little more than clairvoyance and palm reading. Now, we are at the point as a church individually, we are at the point as the church collectively, where we've got to decide how we are going to deal with the, the fruit, the, or the gifts and the manifestation of the Spirit. Point one on your outline. By the way, don't panic on the outline. I also put a magazine article in there for you. We're not covering all of that today. Um, I'm, I, I wanted to be sure that I didn't have to say everything, so I put an article in that would cover what I don't get time to say. Proverbs 14.4 says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. And what that proverb is telling us is this. If you don't have any animals, it's easy to keep the manger clean. And if you don't believe in the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit through prophetic words and things like that. Now, I don't know of any Christian that doesn't believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Please don't insult people that are non-Pentecostal by implying they don't believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They see it differently than we do. But for those of us who believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit manifested through prophecy and tongues and things like that, we, we need to understand this. The easiest thing to do is ignore it. You can have a nice, clean church if nothing happens. Um, there are basically three ways that people have decided this is how we're going to handle the things like prophecy. Some offer no correction. They say, well, pastor, the, the word says not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, that does not mean that we don't judge things and we don't judge people. You say, well, Jesus told us not to judge. Well, that's the most uh, appealed to and the most ignored verse in the New Testament. It's ignored in that we judge people all the time, but when we don't want to be corrected or we don't want to ask difficult questions, we say, well, he said not to judge. Understand that in this context. We are not to be judgmental people. 
We're not to ascribe intent of heart to people. With, and, and that's, boy, we've, we've elevated that to an art form in 2020. We don't do that. We don't judge so that we won't be judged. But he told the elders in Corinth to judge prophetic words and messages in tongues. He said to a congregation that was having lawsuits among each other in Corinth, he said, don't you understand that there ought to be wisdom in your heart to make judgment in this matter? You're going to judge angels? There's always a place to judge and there's always a time to judge. And if we don't offer correction, it's just going to be the book of Judges coming from a different direction where every man and every woman, every church does that which was right in their own sight. Some do not allow the manifestation of spiritual utterances. Now, we have found that there are better places for it only because of the size of our building. But we don't, we don't forbid we say this, we, we're open to this, but we think this is better in this setting or that setting. And that was a very difficult decision for us to make. But uh, believe me, the manifestation of things like tongues and interpretation of tongues, it goes on a lot more than you realize here at this church because most of the time it's in a smaller setting. But that's, there's a difference between trying to say, let's, let's lean this way, then let's say we're not going to allow it at all. And there are, um, there are some churches that say, well, I've been in places where tongues and prophecy and things like that just produces more harm than good. So we're just not going to allow it. I understand that. I really do. I really do understand that. But that's like saying, you know, babies cry. So best thing we're going to do is not feed the baby just and it'll cry, but it won't cry for long. You say, oh, that's horrible. Well, that's what we do with spiritual giftings. Then the third option is that some of us have decided the best course of action is to shepherd the gifts. And that's what we're trying to do today. <coughs> I think you've made it clear. You understand we believe in the prophetic. I'm not taking issue with prophecy. I'm taking issue with the way the prophets have put us under pressure and manipulated us and told us if we don't believe them, we're weak-minded and weak-spirited. And I'm taking issue with the church with the way she just, you know, it's always easier to go out and have somebody else prepare a meal for you. It's, it's, it's easier. But that's when you start doing that with the word of God and you, that's what Israel did to Moses. They had an opportunity to experience God in a way no one had firsthand, but they, they saw the power of it. They saw the glory of it. They saw the, whoa, responsibility of it. And they said, Moses, we want to hear God. Oh, we want to hear God. Go, go hear him. And you tell us what he said. But if we're going to be a people of the prophetic, I'm talking about going forward. I'm going to tell you what I think happened in just a few moments. Um, let, me, let me back up and say it this way. Let me go ahead and tell you this. Um, for, for every prophet that says, I don't know, I'm talking about on the internet, I don't know who's going to win the election, or for that rare prophet that said Joe Biden was going to win the election, there are, I don't think I'm exaggerating, dozens, scores, if not hundreds of prophets that have said Donald Trump is going to win. He's going to win. This started way back months ago. It continued up to the election. It continued after the election. I'm still getting 
quote prophetic words that it's going to be okay by January 18th. Everything will be fine. It's going to be okay by April 30th. Everything's going to be fine. And you know what I'm finding now is it just keeps getting put farther and farther out there. You have some like Jeremiah Johnson that has apologized for predicting a Trump win. He said, I spoke out of the zeal of my heart and not from the word of the Lord. And he says, he says that he believes God removed Trump for his arrogance. Now, this is not what the sermon's about. Please, no comments. He said, I believe God removed Trump for his arrogance. Then you've got other people that are noteworthy that are, that are just saying, I just, I missed it. I think I, I got excited. I got, I missed it. I wanted him to win so bad. I missed it. But then you've got others that as of today are saying, Joe Biden will never sit in the Oval Office. Donald Trump has been reelected. Now the issue to me, this why I, I, you know, I would have preferred to wait a week to get election behind us. But I tell you, I mean, I mean, because I wanted to be able to point to some, this happened and this didn't happen. But let me tell you, I'm at the point, what I've seen, it doesn't matter who sits in the White House. There's a problem in the prophetic with the arrogance and the response. Uh, one prophet said, how dare you question my prediction when it's clearly because you didn't pray enough. Loved ones, when you use, thus saith the Lord... It doesn't matter if people pray enough. And, and we've got to understand that is a heady, uh, a lofty thing to say, this is what the Spirit of God is saying. And then to lash out and blame the body of believers for your prophetic word not coming true is disastrous. Now we're talking a minute about can a, can a genuine prophet of God be wrong? Um, let, let's take a step back this way and say, how do we receive prophetic words? Because I've, I've had several of my friends, and I don't have their permission to share this, so I won't say what they said or the context or anything like that. But I have a number of friends that are ready to just walk away from the prophetic altogether. And, uh, and, and I've had a couple of folks, ministers, ministers, that I've had to talk to that are just saying, well, God didn't keep his word. And I, you know, I challenged them. I said, how foolish for you to say something like that. This is not about God keeping his word. This is about whether the prophets are speaking the word of the Lord. I've had prophets look me in the eye and, and say, you know what the Bible says? It says, believe the prophets and you'll prosper. You don't believe the prophets. You're not going to prosper. Loved ones, I don't have any trouble believing the prophet when he speaks the word of the Lord. I mean, that was spoken about the word of Isaiah the prophet. We should never doubt the word of the prophets if they're speaking the word of the Lord. But we have been lured into this trap. I haven't, but a lot of us have. We have been lured into this trap that, th that says we can't question a prophetic word. If I want to prosper, I've got to believe the prophets. Because if I don't believe the prophets, I won't prosper. Nothing could be further from the truth. I had somebody tell me that God would remove me. They said, didn't God tell you that Donald Trump was going to win the election? I said, no, he didn't. They said, so you said 
Joe Biden was going to win the election. I said, no. I said, God never talked to me about who would win the election. God talked to me about the moral issues facing our country. And whether an, uh, 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 Biden was elected or Trump was elected, these issues, loved ones, the devil has done a wonderful job of sweeping things like our, our national sins, like abortion and injustice. He's done a wonderful job of sweeping this over here. And we're still more in love with politics than we are with moral uh, uh, excellence. We still are. It's still a matter of blue and red in the church. It's still a matter of Trump and Biden to the church. He quoted to me a the story of the Old Testament where I think it was the city of Samaria was under siege and the prophet said, this time tomorrow, everything's going to be right. And the prophet declared, this time tomorrow is everything's going to be right. And he said, and then in that story, one man said, if God opened the windows of heaven, this couldn't happen tomorrow. And the prophet spoke and said, because you have not believed, you'll see it, but you won't participate in it. And with a long finger pointing at me, he says, you don't believe it and you're not going to participate in it. You say, what was your response? I said, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'm not going to be cursed by a man using the word of God illegitimately. Now, loved ones, please, I'm, I, I want to end strong for the prophets, but I think we need to put some things in perspective and we need to understand there are four Key prophetic skills. If you're, going to, if you're going to be a person of the Spirit, if, you're, if prophecy is going to be a part of your life, either giving or receiving, you need to understand four things. The first is that we have to hear from the Lord. Now, I want to tell you that by far is the easiest. Balaam's donkey heard from the Lord. Hearing from the Lord is the easiest thing. But it doesn't stop with hearing. The next thing that has to take place is understanding or interpretation. Uh, sometimes a word, hear, hear me now, sometimes a word of, God, of the Lord is about an action to take. Something's impending. Agabus the prophet. And, and, and guys, we have books on prophetic skills this thick when there's about four pages that you draw from from the New Testament. We need to be careful what we teach as biblical prophecy or, or even the office of a prophet. Um, we need to understand that Agabus, on one occasion, he's a New Testament prophet in the book of Acts, he predicted that a difficult time was coming to Jerusalem. When we started talking about long emergency, people got all bent out of shape, said God would never tell us hard times are coming. Well, he did in the New Testament. He, did, he said famine's coming to Jerusalem. And much of Paul's journeys revolve around establishing churches and receiving a relief offering to go back to Jerusalem. So the whole ministry of Paul we read about was largely in the context of a prophetic word. We see Agabus come and prophesy again toward the end of the book of Acts. And depending on which version you read, it's not clear if Agabus took Paul's belt and bound himself or bound Paul. Depending on the version, it, it could be either one, and it doesn't matter. It's inconsequential. The emphasis wasn't on the person. The emphasis was on the belt. And uh, Paul had been warned by the Lord that difficult times were in Jerusalem. The last place he had been, the prophets begged him not to go to Jerusalem because they were getting the same thing. They said, please don't go. But Paul continues on his journey, and Agabus says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. 
the man who owns this belt, as he is bound or, or as I've been bound, so shall he be bound when he goes to Jerusalem. Well, that was a clear word from the Lord. But the problem was this group over here said, Paul, don't go. This is the word of the Lord telling you not to go. And Paul's over here saying, I've got to go. The Lord has commanded me to go. Now, the difference was they interpreted the vision as directional, don't go. Paul interpreted it as making me aware of what I'm going to face. And they went back and forth. And Agabus didn't say, believe the prophets and, and you'll prosper. Agabus didn't say, thus saith the Lord, you better listen. Agabus, from all accounts, stood there and listened to the two sides because a prophet understood sometimes their greatest responsibility is to deliver the word of the Lord. And if they don't have an understanding about what it means, keep your mouth shut. You say, well, how did they settle it? They didn't settle it. They, 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 Paul went to Jerusalem and he was bound, but he did so with this body of believers saying, we don't believe you're interpreting it right, but the will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. And loved ones, we need to understand that after we hear the word of the Lord and the prophets who have such a, uh, the, the ear of, of part of the church right now, they need to understand that it's not just enough for you to hear the Lord. And you better be careful when you use that phrase, thus saith the Lord. You need to understand it. There's a story from, uh, that Jack Deere shared with me. Um, he was riding on his John Deere, and no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Jack Deere shared, he was talking about being in a place where a prophet, I mean a precise, precisional prophet, saw a vision in church. And there's a person sitting in the congregation, and suddenly over this man's head, there was a dark cloud that formed in the spirit realm, and it had a dollar sign. And then underneath it was the word embezzlement. And so he spoke to the pastor and said, that man back there on the right wearing the blue coat, he's guilty of embezzlement. And the pastor said, I don't think so. I said, he's... He's a godly man. He said, is he a businessman? Does he have access to money? And he said, yes, he is. He says, he's guilty of embezzlement. And when the pastor talked to the prophet after the service, he said, I just, I don't want to share this word. And I don't want you to share that with him because I don't think this is God. He said, thus saith the Lord, he is an embezzler and it will be revealed in X number of days. And the pastor's carrying this thing around. And later the pastor gets a phone call from that man. And you know what? There was a dark cloud. There was a dark cloud involving finances. But it wasn't him that was embezzling. He had been embezzled from. His business was shattered because somebody was embezzling. How much might have happened for the good if that prophet, instead of being satisfied with what he saw, waited long enough to hear what it meant. The third thing is application. You know, is this literal? Is it spiritual? And the fourth thing is timing. Timing. Success or failure often hinges upon the timing and manner of delivery. Loved ones, sometimes, and, and I'm, I'm learning this the hard way, I'm learning this, not, and, and I believe I have a strong prophetic bent, but I'm, I'm, if, if anything, I'm a prophetic pastor. I'm not a prophet, I'm a pastor. 
But I have found, and I've learned it the hard way, that God doesn't need me to tell everything he shows me. Some of it is to direct my praying. Some of it is to direct my activity. And I would say that probably 70% or so of what God shows me is not for me to share with anyone. Another small percent I feel like I need to share with others as a matter of accountability, but only a small percentage of what I see do I feel like I need to share with people because timing is important. Now, Nathan is a good example of this. David says, Nathan, Nathan was his prophet. He says, uh, I feel that God wants me to build a house for him, a temple. I know it's never been done, but I believe God has spoken for me to do it. And Nathan, speaking a prophetic blessing, said, go ahead and do it. The Lord is with you. And David said, whoa, wonderful. And Nathan turns and walks away. And as he's crossing out of the courtyard, the Lord spoke to him and said, no, no. You go tell David that his son is to build the temple. His hands are hands that are full of blood. And I don't want a man of warfare to build a house of peace. It will be given over to his son. And Nathan comes back and corrects what he had said because prophets can sometimes, because they live in that world, they can sometimes assume something means something when in fact it may mean just the opposite. The Lord was giving permission for David's project. That, Nathan felt that right for sure. But Nathan just said, well, if A is true, so is B, C, D, and E. And it took the correction of the Lord for him to go back. Now, let's ask this question. You guys still with me? Can prophets be wrong? Absolutely, they can be wrong. Um, uh, you say, well, you know, the Torah says that if a man, if what he says doesn't come to pass, stone him. You know, first of all, that was Israeli law, not our law, uh, number one. But number two, when you read that contextually, uh, what it's, when you read what it's talking about, it's very clear. If a prophet proclaims to speak in the name of the Lord and it doesn't come to pass, the context of it was this. If a man sets himself to deceive and misdirect the people of God, you'll know because it'll come to pass or it won't come to pass and then deal with that prophet accordingly. God never got mad with a prophet because he missed it. Um, Nathan is as good an example as I know. Furthermore, there are a lot of people that would be labeled by false prophets that if it was up to some of us, we'd stone them 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And what do we find in the next chapter? He's sitting up on a hillside pouting. God decides to show mercy. And he said, I knew you were going to do this. This is just like you, God. Every time you give me a word, and it's a good word, it's a solid word, it's a clear word, it's a word with definite lim uh, uh, limits and boundaries. Forty days, there you go. And you, what do you do? I forgive you. I tell you, he was angry for two reasons. He was angry because the enemies of Israel were spared, and he was angry because his prophetic ministry is put on the line. See, God didn't come through another prophet and say, hey, listen, you guys, don't be upset with Jonah. Uh, he, he delivered the message. And that message was true, but they repented. No, there was, there was nothing like that. He had to work through the stigma of God said this, I said thus saith the Lord, but it didn't happen. Now it was going to happen over 100 years later when they turned back to their old ways. Yes, I'm telling you that prophets can be wrong, and for this reason, um, 
Well, let me back up and say it this way. Then some would say, well, then the word of God could be wrong. No, it couldn't. Because Peter says that holy men of old were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote, as they spoke. In our vernacular, we say they were preserved from error. Isaiah was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Hosea was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Moses was carried along by the Holy Spirit. Samuel carried along by the Holy Spirit. Ezra carried along by the Holy Spirit. David carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were preserved from error. But there is not a prophet living today who is carried along by the Holy Spirit preserved from error. They can do what I know I've done. I'll get a clear word from the Lord and I'll speak it. And, I'll, and, and I'm, you know, sometimes prophets or even preachers are like the guy. Somebody said, well, what size coat do you wear? He says, well, I wear a 46, but a 48 feels so good, I wear a 50. And I know, I know what it's like to have to constantly, I constantly have to check myself because when I feel something passionately, I have to be sure I'm delivering from my spirit and not from my soul. That's what happened with Paul when he said, I'm not saying this to you by the commandment of the Lord. This is my reasoning, but I think the Spirit of God is in me and he's influencing me. Paul said, there's a time you stand behind the pulpit and you say, thus saith the Lord. There are times that you say, look, I'm not saying this is the Lord. I'm saying this is wisdom. And a lot of us loved ones have put our politics with our gospel. A lot of us have put our preferences with our gospel. And there's nothing wrong with having polit uh, political views. There's nothing wrong with having profit, uh, I mean, um, uh, preferences. But I want to tell you something. What God is calling the church to, he's calling you to. He's calling pastors to. When you start speaking the word of the Lord, you can do it behind that pulpit. But every other time, you better step to the side. You better step to the side and stop creating the illusion, the illusion that everything you say is anointed and approved by God. I've been anointed enough to know the flesh can get in very easily. Um, can prophets be wrong? Yes, but I don't think that makes them false prophets. Um, as I said, by some standards, Jonah would have been considered a false prophet. Um, but... I, I, let me say it one more way. Much prophesying comes from our soulish level. And, and you say, well, you ought to be able to tell the difference between spirit and soul. Well, when talking about the power of the word of God, the writer of Hebrews says it is so powerful that it is able to, to cut between soul and spirit. In other words, that's not an easy thing to do, to cut between soul and spirit. <laughs> and we need to understand that the job of the prophet is to speak from the spirit, but it's very easy for us to speak from the soul. That's why we get such convoluted doctrine. That's why we may have a dream that is totally true to God's word and scriptural principles. And then we have another dream that's crazy. And we try to find verses for everything in that dream. And I want to tell you, most of the dreams that we have are soulish. And it may, it may be mixed with truth and error, but when there's a true dream from God, it's of the Spirit and there's no contradiction of Scripture. Um, I think much prophesying in recent years has come from the soulish level, as do many dreams. My notes say the sourish level. There, that may be a prophetic word, I don't know. 
but the, that was a typo. I don't, I don't think that's in your notes. Uh, the soulish level, as do many dreams. Mike Bickle said something back last March when all of this began to break out. He said, I think we need to be steady. I think we need to hear from the Lord. He said, the prophets right now are speaking with bravado. They're speaking with bravado. And he didn't say this, but he said it on other occasions. And I'm, I'll take the blame for this statement. We have created a climate where prophetic ministry is a show. And, and, and loved ones, I want to tell you something. Uh, this is, I tell you, the average pastor in America, where he used to lead a church, he's now in competition with 50 other voices on the internet and I've never been in a place where I am now where I have to defend myself against what prophet so-and-so said. It's a, it's a different animal. It's a, it's a different thing. And I think that the, there has been an eruption of the prophetic in recent years. I think it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But I think it has been tainted by arrogance. I think it's been tainted by the expectation that if you don't believe me, there's something flawed and there's something wrong with you. When in the New Testament, Paul told the leaders in Corinth, he said, whenever there's a spiritual utterance, sit in judgment of it. Give a judgment to say this is of the Lord or this is not of the Lord. Now let's talk about that word manipulation because you're almost done. I have been told, and you have too, you read it on the websites. If you don't believe, God will pass you by. Uh, others have said, well, you know, if you're not going to believe the word of God, you're not going to stand. Loved ones, I don't think anybody in this building or anybody listening online has it ever entered your mind that God lies. I don't think it's ever entered your mind that God has failed, that the 2020 election was just too much for him. I don't think that's ever entered your mind. Do not let prophetic voices bully you into a corner saying, if you don't believe me, then you just, you're writing off God and you're not faithful to God. And God has drawn a line through the nation. And those of you that believe the prophets are on this side of the line. And those of you that, believe, that don't believe the prophets are on this side of the line. It's bullying. It's manipulation. And you say, but they've got so many verses. Loved ones, there was much from the heart of God about the false prophets in Jeremiah's day. I want to tell you something. Don't do it right now because you'll miss lunch. But if you read through the prophet Jeremiah, the false prophets, I'm having trouble finding anything they said that was not true. Oh, no, no, no. They were false. No, almost everything they said was not a lie. Almost everything they said was true. But do you know what they did? They took God's promises out of other contexts and said, God will never let Jerusalem fall. Well, the context they took it of was a verse where God said, if you'll walk with me, if you'll honor my word, if you'll live in covenant, I will protect you and the city will never fall. Loved ones, we, we have allowed prophetic voices and as a result, it's tainted the preaching in our pulpits and tainted our own theology. We have been so, so sloppy with the word of God that we'll find a verse and say, that's God's prophetic word for today. How would you like it if I pointed at your teenage daughter and said, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child? You'd be tense. Well, that's the word of the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. But its ultimate fulfillment was in Mary at the birth of Jesus. 
We, we love to say things like, uh, you know, we're standing at the Red Sea and if we don't make the decision, Pharaoh's going to... No, you can't take scriptures out of their context and say, this proves that this is of the Lord. And, and, and the ones that are legitimately claimed, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will heal their land. That has been claimed the past 15 presidential elections. Loved ones, I want to tell you what I'm encouraged about. I'm encouraged that I do think that America has prayed. I've never seen a time in America where I think there's more prayer going on than right now. I, I really do believe that. So if, we'll, if my people who are calling my name shall humble themselves and pray, and, and, and humility, I, maybe so. I, I think we're turning the corner on humility. I think we're, I think we're realizing we need God to, to, to touch our hearts. Um, turn from their wicked ways? No, not as long as we're still fighting the battles over whether abortion is wrong. We haven't turned from our wicked ways. As long as we say, well, you know, racism is wrong, but we haven't turned from our wicked ways. I don't think the church has turned from our wicked ways. We still dress like the world. We still talk like the world. We still live like the world. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm not sure that we've turned from our wicked ways. So what I'm trying to tell you is that we cannot take scriptures out of their context and we cannot selectively choose scriptures that we have fulfill. My word, this is good preaching. I just don't know if anybody else is understanding it. I've had prophets say, as I listen to them, they say, well, you may not agree with me saying that this is going to happen, but I'm not ashamed that I'm standing for the babies and I'm standing for this. Loved ones, nobody is saying this is about abortion. Nobody is turning their back on abortion, uh, the, the fight against abortion. We're, this is not about us turning our backs on righteousness. What we are saying is we don't know that the prophets have heard right and we're questioning because we're the ones that have to live. That's, that's why we don't have evangelists, hardly ever. Because they have all kinds of wonderful things they say, but I've got to pick up dead bodies after they leave. No, 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 no. The churches have got to walk this out, whether it's a Trump presidency or a Biden presidency. And, and the prophets have turned this into, well, I'm just fighting for the babies and I'm fighting for civil rights and I'm fighting for social justice and I'm fighting for our economy and I'm fighting for our military and I'm fighting for Israel. Loved ones, I understand that. I understand what you're saying, but don't weaponize your cause to separate the body of Christ. I do think it matters who's elected. I've said that two dozen times. I do think elections have consequences. I think that Christians that do not make moral decisions before they go to the ballot box are part of the problem and not part of the solution. I believe that with all of my heart. But the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of this world. Now we are to be a bright and shining light, but We've got to understand that we don't wear the, the patch of the Republican Party or the patch of the Democratic Party. What's the evaluation? Let me, let me work through this quickly. Evaluation of prophetic words must be done by individuals and church leadership. 
Be careful of making, to prophets I say, be careful of making every prophecy, thus saith the Lord. I listened to a man prophesy for over an hour, thus saith God, thus saith God, thus saith God. And in all honesty, I, I, I went into it in prayer and opening the heart. I think there was about 90 seconds that I think it was thus saith God. Near the middle, I, th- I really felt like this is thus saith God. But the rest of it, you know, we can use the Lord's name in vain a lot of different ways. Be careful about the trap of dominion theology. We need to talk about this, but we don't have time to talk about this. A lot of what's going on is that some of the evangelical conservative church believe that it's the job of the church to transform society and then Jesus will come back. Others of us believe that it's not going to be transformed fully until Jesus comes back. And it, it, there's, there's value in both views. I believe we ought to do everything we can. You know, the seven mountains Lance Wall now talks about. I believe there's validity in those things. I believe there's validity in letting your light shine. But I want to tell you something. The New Testament does not deal with a church that has political power. He tells us to honor the king and to pray for those that are in authority over us. This thing called democracy is a relatively new thing. And I think we ought to make democracy the best it can possibly be. But stop interpreting the New Testament when, as, in, as though Jesus said, you're going to take over the governments of this world. You say, well, the Bible says the governments of this world have become the governments of our God and his Christ. Yeah, at the end of Revelation. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not... I'm not at odds with dominion theologians that say, you know, we got to make this world the best it can be. I understand that. But what they are doing, intentionally or not, what they are doing is saying you've got to get with this political party to make it happen. And loved ones, it's not going to happen that way. It's not going. Life can be better with this political party than this political party. Our pocketbooks can be better with this party instead of this party. But don't shame Christians into saying, if you're not one of us, you're not walking in the Spirit. Be careful about the traps of victorious eschatology. In, in the Pentecostal charismatic movement right now, there's a big move towards what called, is what's called victorious eschatology. They say any prophecy of judgment or doom or difficulty is not a victorious eschatology. One fellow said, I will never speak anything that's not a victorious eschatology. What he's saying is I'll never deal with prophecy that's doom or gloom. I'll never deal with hard times. I'll never deal with the tribulation. But loved ones, you have to deal with the tribulation. It's in the book. And Jesus said it's a time that is so bad that mankind would not survive it unless God intervened. You say, well, that's not victorious. Well, it is if you read the whole book. I mean, you've got to read the whole book. There's nothing that is defeatist about our eschatology at all. We have a victorious eschatology, but it's not a, it's not a pretty picture before we get there. Let me tell you this, be careful about an unbalanced understanding of declaring. We are taught that we are to declare in whatever the church declares. And loved ones, there is, there is some, there's a sliver of teaching that talks about the power of declaration, but it is never divorced from the word of God. It is never divorced from the timing of God. It's never divorced from the government of God. You know, we are, we are, we are succumbing in the charismatic 
Pentecostal church, we are succumbing to people that say, well, I'm just going to declare that this, 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 and this, 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 and this. You don't have the right to declare. You don't have the right to declare unless it comes from the heart of God. You see, I, I know that there are people that overtly disagree with that, but you've got to understand, even Jesus said, I only do what Father shows me to do. I only say what Father tells me to say. You say, oh, but pastor in Job, it says you shall declare a thing and it shall be established and God will make his light shine upon you. Loved ones, I've taught you over and over again. Do not build doctrine from the conversations of Job's three friends. It's full of trash. It's full of inaccuracies. You say, the word of God is full of trash. The word of God in the book of Job is an accurate, trustworthy transcription of what those men said. But it wasn't for doctrine. It was showing their perverted view trying to destroy Job. And we are so bad about just, you know, we see something that fits and then we ignore the context of it. We ignore who said it. I grew up being told God won't hear sinners. I, I, you know, I, I was in a hospital one time and I heard a preacher. I didn't know him well, but I went with him to the hospital and he told somebody that was lying there, this person was a rank sinner. And this person said, I just, I'm just praying for, for God to help me. And the preacher said, God's not hearing you. And he opened up to the Gospels where it says, God heareth not sinners. And you know what? That was said by someone making a comment on someone else's prayers. That wasn't doctrine. If you are saved today, it's because God hears sinners. If you are helped today, it's because God hears sinners. We, we have violated the word of God and we have, we have taken the, the, the position that says, anything I want to declare, God must do it. Anything that I declare, it is the will of God. Any story that was ever told, it has application for right now. And we need to get back to the Father's lap. We need to get back to the Father's lap so that we hear what he is saying. Well, I've got the prophet. What the prophet says may be right, it may be wrong. It may be out of his spirit, it may be out of his soul. But that's why we need to get and stay in the lap of Jesus. And you say, well, pastor, I'll just let you do that. Listen, you know what I found out in the last year? Anything I can talk you into, somebody else can talk you out of. Somebody can sound more eloquent than me. I know it's hard to believe, but it can happen. It can happen. Somebody can be better looking than me, <laughs> but it can happen. You understand what I'm saying? We must hear from God ourselves and not be dependent on a prophetic lifeline. When you make a declaration, you have to have a context. You have to be sure that it is the word of God and you have to have a commission. God has to say this word is for you in this setting. This word is for you in this setting. And, um, you know, you say, well, no, no, whatever he did for one, he'll do for me. The Bible says God's no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he's got to do for another. That's not remotely what that verse means. That verse means when you come to God, nobody comes to him on the basis of their standing. God doesn't respect our accomplishments or our achievements. We all come through the cross. 
And you got to have a command by the, by the Holy Spirit. Now, where do we go from here? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up because in, in the long version of how much time we've got, I've only got about three minutes. Where do we go from here? There's some things to remember. And I'm going to go through them quickly. Prophets do not establish doctrine. Prophets were never intended to establish doctrine. Old Testament, New Testament, they're not establishing doctrine. They're pointing directions and they're reminding people. Number two, there needs to be a very selective and refined and sanctified usage of thus saith the Lord. Loved ones, I, I have no problem. I have no problem with a prophet that says, you know, this is what I felt like the Lord showed me. This is what I, I don't even have a problem with a prophet that says, this is what I believe I heard from the Lord. Because I know of at least two prophetic people that I trust them with my life. And they heard this was going to happen and it hasn't happened. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. But I trust them. Okay. Um, I don't have any problem with a prophet saying, you know, I guess I missed it or I thought maybe I was wrong. I don't have any, what I have a problem with is somebody saying, thus saith the Lord, this is the, the voice of the spirit. And then when it doesn't happen, blaming other people for it. Sometimes we need to just give things time. Uh, I, I believe that, um, you know, when we talk about my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and I'll hear from heaven. You know, I, I believe if we have reached that point of success, we need to understand it's still a work in progress. It's not over. We think things have to happen by election day or we think things have to happen by tax day. But sometimes we just need to give things time. Number four, humility is the currency of heaven. Number five, Christians don't need to be afraid to question extra biblical words. I know I disappoint people. Sometimes people come to me, and I'm not talking about anybody in particular here, but sometimes I'll get a word and says, this is what I feel like the Lord's telling me. And, and I'll listen and I'll say, thank you. I'll, I'll pray over that. And, and I appreciate you being willing to share that with me. I've had people get upset with me that I don't dance in the spirit and speak in tongues over their prophetic word. I need to judge that word. I need to pray about that word. I need to, because sometimes that word is in direct contradiction to what God has put in my heart. And I, I, I want to respect it, but I want to pray about it and say, Lord, am I wrong or am I misinterpreting or are they misinterpreting? Loved ones, we, we don't need to be afraid to question extra biblical words. And don't be afraid of someone because they call themselves a prophet. Stop treat, and here's a big one. Stop treating prophetic words with the same infallibility and authority we give to Scripture. Get back to the Bible. I know that sounds overused and overworked, but loved ones, you've, you, your, your hope and your foundation is the Scripture. It's not the prophetic word. It's not the prophetic word. Someone asked Mike Bickle, they said, well, if, if we don't know about these prophecies, what do we do? And Mike said, well, we do have the scriptures. That's what I want you to remember. What do we contend for? Because we do need to push back against the enemy. We don't need to cave in. We need to contend for prophecies that we believe are from the Lord. Here's number one I would tell you. Be cautious about the voices you let in your life. Be cautious. You know, sometimes people... 
Pastor, I'm just, I'm hearing this, I'm hearing this, I'm hearing this, and I'm hearing this. And I'm just overwhelmed by it. I'm discouraged. What, what should I do? And I say, don't listen. Don't listen to something that produces that kind of fruit in your life. Oh, I know we can't stick our head in the sand. I've never said that, never thought that. But I, I contend with you that this is worth contending for. It, for every 30 minutes you spend listening to somebody online, spend 30 minutes in the Word of God. And it will produce a balance in your life. And be more cautious about the kind of voice you become to others. Um, it's not just who you hear, but who you hear is going to filter in your system and come out. You know, uh, I, I don't mean to be crude. I really don't mean to be crude. But you mothers that have, <coughs> have breastfed your babies, you know that certain foods you don't want to eat because it goes from your body digests in, uh, into the milk and the baby gets it. And, and sometimes that milk doesn't agree with the baby. And you've got to understand, you've got to be careful what you take in because it's going to affect those that you're feeding. Number two, understand that there's a huge difference between a disbelieving heart and a discerning heart. I, I know back in November, some stuff was going on and it was a... And I stood before my wife and just cried. I said, I, I want everything that God has. I want to believe everything that God is saying. And I'm just blubbering. And she says, what's wrong? I said, I don't believe what is being said. And I, and I don't want to fail the Lord. But loved ones, there is a big difference between a disbelieving heart and a discerning heart. We need to contend for a solid rooting in the scripture we need to have a true heart of love that seeks unity with other believers. The church of Jesus in America has failed miserably in 2020 with the issue of love and unity and patience with one another. I, I've said it, we're not allowed to have, we don't allow people to have a view that's different from our own. Uh, we, 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 don't, we don't allow somebody to be silent to process something. Uh, we say silence is a statement. And sometimes it's profound wisdom to just see what the whole picture is. And loved ones, we've, we've got to have a heart of love that seeks unity with other believers. Stop judging the hearts of fellow Christians. Sometimes the people that we have issued the harshest rebuke against are people that are doing the very best in their heart to please the Lord and honor Him. And I wanna say one more thing, we've gotta forgive, we've gotta let go of bitterness and hatred. I know there's a, there's a past for all Americans. There's hurt for Americans. There's, there's unthinkable tragedies that have been a part of our lives. And I'm not minimizing that at all. I'm not saying it should not be dealt with. But loved ones, at the end of the day, what you and I all have to remember is that we have to come to the place of forgiveness. Now here's what I want you to take with you. May God release the beautiful and true prophetic ministry. And may it be honored and embraced by his people. May God release the beautiful and true prophetic ministry. And may it be honored and embraced by his people. There is true prophecy. There are true prophets. I do believe they are going through judgment and humiliation and God is taking out of what is in many of them, arrogance 
and attitude of superiority and the idea that they have a unique ear that hears God better than anyone else. God is bringing that down low so that brokenness may emerge and prophetic ministry may be beautiful again. You say, well, I'm glad you told them. Well, I want to encourage the church to keep pressing into his presence, his power and his purity. Refine your heart so that only the voice of the Lord is what you depend upon. Quit being a groupie, a spiritual groupie that puts people up on a pedestal only so that they can fall off. Begin again to understand that humility is the currency of heaven. And, and I want to tell you, there are three things that need to be at the top of your list. Not, a, not stuff. Three things ought to be at the top of your list. Seek him for his presence. Seek him for his presence. Seek him for his presence. Number two, seek him for his purity. Seek him for his purity. Deal harshly with the sin in your life. And number three, press in for his power. Moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we are coming through a generation that has seen the prophetic and has seen the healing ministry and has seen sometimes the apostolic ministry and sometimes, God forbid, the pastoral ministry. We have seen them build shows and market their name and market their brands and, you know... Uh, you know, give, you know, give me $50, I'll send you an anointed prayer cloth. And the list goes on and on and on. We have prostituted the things of God as a church. And just like I'm not going to stand for a prophet pointing his finger and say, this is your fault. <laughs> I'm not going to point my finger and say, this is your fault. We are in trouble. We are under judgment. We are being refined. Days of the showmanship are over. Days of showmanship are over. Oh, it'll still pop up here and there. But don't look for God to bless it. Amen. And, and, and you'll, be a, you'll be a simpleton if you pursue it. We've got to get back to the pure and simple gospel. And we've got to pursue his presence, pursue his purity, and pursue his power. And... Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones said something. He was the man that was pastor in London before RT. I, I'm done when I say this. He, he illustrated a principle beautifully. He said, when the church of Jesus Christ is discouraged, he said, she doesn't need encouragement. She needs doctrine. And that sounds like a hard-hearted <laughs> You don't need encouragement, you need doctrine. What he was trying to say is, of course you need encouragement. He knew that. But what he was saying is that the only way we can truly be encouraged is to know Scripture. And Scripture lifts us. The only way we're going to move past this debacle of prophetic prediction on the 2020 election, whether you are a Biden supporter or a Trump supporter, the only way you're going to move through it is by getting back to the Lord, asking Him to do His refining work in the prophets and in you, the only way we're going to get past it is to let go of your hurts and your fears and whatever else it is you're carrying. 
Some of you are insisting on fighting this battle month after month after month. And loved ones, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, the sledding ahead is going to be so tough, you can't make it with all this junk hanging on you. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, shake loose from all the encumbrances that so easily beset you and run with race, uh, with uh, patience the race that is set before you. It's a new day. The question is whether you're going to try to live it in 2020 still or move forward. Father, we thank you for the prophetic word. We thank you. We thank you for men that we don't have any question about. Men like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Haggai, Malachi, Zephaniah. Lord, we thank you for the biblical prophets. And we thank you for people like Prophet Payton. In this new age, he's not preserved from error, but he was phenomenally used to bring the comfort of God through the prophetic word. Help us to find that balance in Jesus' name. Now, I have preached to the church. Um, I preach to some that agree and some that disagree. But I do also know that there may be some of you here or in Brown Chapel, out in the foyer, or listening at home, that Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior. And before you leave or turn off the TV, you want to know that he is. If you're listening online, there's a telephone number that will be coming up on the screen. We have people waiting to hear from you and they want to pray with you. If you would like to accept Jesus, as I said, here or Brown Chapel, come forward and you'll be shown right through that door right there where people will be waiting to pray with you. If you have needs, other needs that you need for, for which you need prayer, come forward in both, in both auditoriums. Come forward. We'd love to pray with you. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. Forgive me if I have not shared my heart well. Forgive me if I have done it with stumbling and stuttering. But understand, God is for us. Nothing can be against us successfully. Let's lock arm in arm and let's keep moving forward. God bless you. God bless you.